Well, I was thinking as uh, we were standing up here and uh, singing and uh, to empty seats and everything here this morning um, of how much of the scriptures, the, the New Testament particularly, were um, written by um, individuals who were dispersed from the church, weren't part of a church fellowship, and, and uh, were written to uh, congregations uh, that were spread across Asia Minor at, uh, at, at the time. The Apostle Paul wrote a number of his um, uh, epistles from, the, uh, from, a, from a prison cell or a house arrest. Um, John was in exile. Um, James wrote to the, uh, the church dispersed throughout. And so it reminded me that, that the church is bigger than any one of us. And so we uh, are looking forward to continuing in our time of um, church, expressing our, our worship and our thanks to God uh, in a little bit of a different scenario, a little different setting here. And um, but we're we're church, and uh, we are being uh, brought into the kingdom of God through our um, loving Savior Jesus, who is with us at all times. And so I just want to say again. Good morning, church. And uh, as we continue to process through these days in which we are at, um, we will be providing more information on uh, our website and Facebook to keep you alert to some of the things that are ongoing. I'm delighted this morning to have uh, our pastoral team uh, with us and uh, sitting behind me, and they're going to be on their best behavior, aren't you? Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, and uh, so we just thought that it would be good to us. Uh, let you know that there are the pastoral team is is here um, i'm going to be talking here this morning and then at the end we're just going to i'm going to interact with him a little bit around some of the things that we uh, will be looking at here this morning asking some questions and in engaging with them as we have opportunity to try a few things different as uh, we gather here um, uh, today I was reminded as uh, the uh, staff was sitting behind me that when I started out in ministry, this was normal. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, the pastor would get up and, and speak and all of the staff would sit behind him and, uh, and, and, and with uh, the threat of their life, in a, in a, they would not go to sleep. And uh, so we would, we would all sit there and then at the, at the end we would all get up and we would walk off uh, for what uh, one pastor used to call the glorifying of the worm, uh, where we would all stand out in the foyer and, and, and greet one another and and everybody would come up and tell the pastor what a great job he did and all that, that sort of thing. And uh, I was reflecting on that a little bit. As in, one, in the one church I was at, um, after the service, I was walking out with the, the senior pastor, and we were walking down the center aisle, and, and he looked over at me, and, and he said, um, that message was for me. And I, uh, I'll never forget that as a young pastor kind of uh, finding my way and as I was reflecting on this uh, series that uh, we are going to start uh, here today and take us up till Easter, I got thinking about the fact that, that this, this series is really for me. Because in so many ways, I found myself being drawn away from intimacy with God. And I long to find my way back. And so this series, we're going to be talking about sacred practices, some things that will help us in develop our, our intimacy with God. 
And uh, so we're just going to be exploring those together. Uh, Let's pray and we'll uh, dive in here today. Father, we are so grateful for your presence with us. doesn't matter where we are. Lord Jesus, you have said that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are always there. And uh, so we acknowledge that. We, we uh, lean into your presence, whether we're sitting in our living room or wherever we may be uh, watching what is going on here. We join together in celebration of who you are. And as we look into this passage this morning of the words of Jesus to speak to anxious hearts. We pray that that it will be a means of of peace, be a means of bringing peace and and security and hope to our hearts. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in my junior year of college, uh, we had a, a presenter come to one of our chapel services and spoke on the theme of burning out for God through a, a visual presentation of, of a flannel graph, if, if you remember what those might be like. Uh, she demonstrated uh, and challenged the student body to settle for nothing less than a life of surrender to God that would lead to being totally consumed by our service for him. It took me just over 30 years to answer her challenge, but I did it. I burned out. At least that's the term used by my counselor in assessing my condition of fatigue. My upbringing was in an environment that hailed burning out for God as the epitome of Christian service. As British evangelist Christmas Evans once declared, it is better to burn out than to rust out. But having been there, I have to conclude that there must be a better way to live for God than to expend ourselves to the point of exhaustion and loss of heart. Busyness keeps us from living well. Busyness and the accompanying fast-paced lifestyle that goes with it has led to a condition that has been called hurried sickness. Hurry sickness is described as a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. I would suggest that it's a common sickness in our culture that cuts across all social, racial, and economic boundaries. Author and philanthropist Wayne Muller writes, I have visited the large offices of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain, I am so busy. It does not seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. The more their lives speed up, the more they feel hurt, frightened and isolated. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely feels light, pleasant or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. So what's your hurry? I remember 
back in the 60s, there was this, a lot of discussion about what people by the year 2000 would do with all of their free time that they would have on their hands. Due to the advances in technology, it was reported that people would be working shorter work weeks and retiring earlier. So how would they go about managing all this extra time that they would have available to them? Progress, it was reasonable to expect, would lead to restedness and leisure. Well, I don't hear anyone wondering what to do with excess time these days. Instead, we are faced with the reality of dealing with unprecedented weariness of body and spirit and soul that is prevalent among all age groups. So what are some indicators that we are crazy busy? Well, I would suggest the following. First of all, the, the, need, the need for speed. We go around fearful that someone is going to get ahead of us or disadvantage us in some ways. For instance, when you approach a stoplight where there are two lanes of traffic and there's a car in each lane, do you find yourself assessing the make and model of each car and the gender and age of each driver as you try to guess which driver will accelerate the fastest before you decide which lane to stop in? Then what about this scenario? When you are standing in line at the express desk at a grocery store, do you find yourself counting the items of the person in front of you to see if they meet the required number of items to be in this line? And if they don't, are you choked by the fact that they are there? We are consumed by a hurry-up-and-get-out-of-my-way attitude. Then endless activity drives us to a crazy, busy lifestyle. A recent study found that 90% of children between the ages of 9 to 14 indicated that they felt stressed because they were too busy. For some families, kids may be driving the schedule because they don't want to be left out. But in other situations, it's the parents pushing their kids to get ahead so that they can be captain of the hockey team or awarded a scholarship to a particular university. Whatever the case, families are often stretched to the limit because of endless activity. Do you find your days are filled with, with constant running to soccer practices or play rehearsals or dentist appointments, daycare, church activities, social events? If, is life a blur due to a jam-packed calendar? Does time just seem to pass you by? Hurry is not simply a result of a disordered schedule. It is the result of a disordered heart. Carelessness is another symptom of having a crazy, busy schedule. When our lives are plagued by hurry, people become a bother to us. To truly care for others takes time, and most of us are too busy to take time to care. John Ortberg tells of a pilot friend who related to him his favorite in-flight story. An elderly couple were flying first class, sitting behind a businessman who was enormously frustrated with them. They had been just ahead of him in the line at, the, at checking in at, at the gate and again boarding the plane, and they were moving all too slowly. He was in a hurry. 
When the meal was served, they delayed the businessmen again by having to get some pills from the overhead storage, inadvertently dropping a battered duffel bag. What's the matter with you people? He exploded loudly enough for the whole cabin to hear. I'm amazed that you ever get anywhere. Why can't you just stay home? And with that, to register his anger, he reclined his seat as hard as he could, so hard that the elderly man's tray of food spilled all over him and his wife. The flight attendant apologized to the couple profusely. Is there anything that we can do, she asked. The husband explained it was their 50th wedding anniversary, and they were flying for the very first time. Let me at least bring you a bottle of wine, the flight attendant offered. She did so. When it was uncorked, the elderly husband stood up and proposed a toast and then poured the bottle of wine over the head of the impatient businessman sitting in front of them. The pilot reported that everyone in the cabin cheered. A throwaway attitude is the next indicator of a crazy busy lifestyle. No one has the time to fix anything anymore. It is faster and easier to simply throw it out. Now, I'm not suggesting that getting rid of junk is is a bad thing. Uh, Before we moved to Poland, while Janie was at work, I ordered a dumpster to be delivered to our driveway. All day long, I threw stuff in it. And when Janie came home, I said to her, don't even ask. Now, when she tells this story, she adds that she made me crawl back into the dumpster and pull out some of the leftover decorations from our daughter's wedding, which, which is true, and which continue to lie around the house unused, although they're all now at our daughter's place, which is good. Few of us think that we have time or energy to put much effort into fixing things, whether they are relationships, obligations, health matters, or spiritual direction. A throwaway lifestyle leads to neglect and most often shows up with those who are closest to us. It can show up in what has been called sunset fatigue. Sunset fatigue is when you come home after a day's work and you are just too tired, too drained, or too preoccupied to love and care for the people to whom you have made the deepest commitments. Sunset fatigue has set in when you find yourself rushing, even when there's really no reason to. There is an underlying tension that causes sharp words or quarrels at home. You set up mock races. For instance, okay, kids, let's see who can get their bath the fastest that are really a cover-up for your need to get on with something else that you want to do. You sense a loss of grandeur and wonder. You indulge in self-destructive escapes from fatigue, such as abusing alcohol, watching too much TV, overeating, or listening to country and western music. Okay, I just kind of threw that one in there. It's because it kills our hearts That hurry is the great enemy of our lives. Hurry lies behind much of the frustration, anger, and recklessness that spoil our existence. We were never designed to live like we do. We are like the sprinter who was asked to run 100 meters in five seconds. After several futile attempts, he began to blame the condition of the track and and, and the fit of his shoes. 
the fact that it is humanly impossible to accomplish this task never enters his mind. The possibility of living unhurried lives may not be humanly impossible, but as our lives testify, without intervention, it is improbable. We desperately need help in eliminating hurry from our lives. Jesus offers the kind of intervention we need when he extends to us this gracious invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way to eliminate hurry from our lives is to follow the practice of slowing. Jesus implies this move when he invites us to come out of a place of weariness and disabling burdens. He calls us to the discipline of arranging our lives around his priorities and practices to embrace the unforced rhythms of grace. The one thing about Jesus that a careful observation of his life reveals is that although there were times when he was busy, he was never in a hurry. He had time to stop to speak to and heal a diseased woman while a frantic father stood helplessly by waiting for him to come to the aid of his dying daughter. He had time to speak with a woman snubbed by her community and forced to draw water from the village well in the heat of the afternoon sun to avoid the condemning stares and glares of her neighbors. He gladly welcomed boisterous children when those around him were trying to keep them away. Jesus often had much to do, but he never did it in a way that was rushed, careless, or showed a throwaway attitude towards people. He addressed his daily activities in a way that nurtured the life connection he had with the Father. And he invites us to unburden ourselves from the press of busyness. If we are to follow Jesus, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And Jesus informs us how this can be done. The way to slow down, as explained by Jesus, is to take on his yoke and learn from him. Now, a yoke is a wooden frame joining two animals in Jesus' day, typically oxen, so that they could work together as a team. This enabled the linked animals to pull together and thus increased their strength. A younger ox, just being broken in, would also learn from the older, more experienced ox at what speed to practice and to proceed in order to be most effective. We enter into the rest that Jesus promised when we realize that being yoked together with him means we cannot move any faster than the one with whom we are linked. If Jesus was never in a hurry while he lived on earth, we need to know that he hasn't changed now, that he's back in heaven. His invitation to rest in him is a decision to let him set our pace of life. Some time ago, a newspaper in Tacoma, Washington, carried the story of Tattoo, the Basset Hound. Tattoo didn't intend to go for an evening run. But when his owner inadvertently shut his leash in the car door and took off for a drive, Tattoo had no choice. 
A motorcycle police officer noticed a passing vehicle with something that appeared to be dragging behind it. He set out after the vehicle, finally chasing it down to a stop, and Tattoo was rescued. But not before the dog reached a speed of 20 to 30 miles per hour and rolled over several times. The article went on to state that Tattoo has lost his urge to go for an evening walk. My observation is that many of us live our lives from Tattoo's perspective. We have become, perhaps unintentionally, or quite possibly intentionally, leashed to unstoppable systems and structures with which we are having a great deal of trouble trying to keep up. Soren Kierkegaard has stated, The press of busyness is like a charm. Although we often complain if the truth be known, we rather like being able to tell others that we are crazy busy. It makes us feel important. Busyness gets our adrenaline pumping. It means we don't have to look too closely at what is going on in our lives. Kierkegaard is right, I believe. Business, uh, busyness can act like a charm. So how do we get past the charm of busyness? How do we get free from being leashed to the pull of trying, to, trying harder to keep up? As complicated as life may become, exchanging the leash of busyness for being yoked into discipleship with Jesus is the place where rescue from hurry takes place. At its heart, yoking ourselves with Jesus is simply trusting that he walks with us moment by moment and teaches us how to live life his way. The promise of the easy yoke is freedom from a self-serving, performance-based lifestyle. It is easy because it frees us from the burden of me-first living, liberates us from the load of trying harder, and releases us to be drawn into the space of gentleness and humility marked out by Jesus. The gracious invitation of Jesus is, come to me, get away with me. Let me teach you. Learn from me. It is an invitation to be joined in life-transforming relationship with the one who has come to us to free us from the grip of hectic living. So let me wrap up here by speaking to some practical measures for alerting us to the possibility of living in the reality of the easy yoke connection with Jesus. Essentially, the easy yoke is to let the gentleness and humility Jesus incarnates to shape all of our lives so that we are constantly receiving his support and companionship in the practice of unhurried living. One of my preferred practices for slowing down is journaling. Now, to be honest, there, this is not a practice in which I engage every day. And if I were to let you see my journal, which I am not about to do, you would see that there are some large gaps in my journal entries. However, I find myself being drawn back to this practice again and again because it brings me into a preferred space for gaining intimacy with God. It allows me to start my day off slowly. So here's the practice I follow. While my coffee is brewing, I begin my journal entry with the words either yesterday or today. 
Because I find that before I can center down on my scripture reading and prayer, I need to eliminate what is preoccupying my mind. Often it is something that occurred yesterday that is still bothering me, or there is something that is happening today that is capturing my attention. I find that if I write a short statement that addresses my concerns, I can park that matter and give my full attention to the scripture reading of the day. By the time I am finished writing my initial entry, coffee is ready and I sip it while I I read. And I like to read sections of the scriptures together. So I may read through the Gospels, my favorite actually, or Paul's letters or the major prophets, etc. And my approach to scripture reading does not follow any set pattern as to how much I read. It is not a race to see how much scripture I can get through. Rather, it is how much of God's word that gets through to me. And so there have been times when I've stopped my reading after the very first statement that I have read. I then follow a highlighting method for marking that stands out to me. I ask myself the following questions. What does the scripture section tell me about God? What does it tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about the Holy Spirit? And what are some takeaway truths for me? I have a color-coded highlighting system I follow for each question. I found a package of dual-tip highlighters at Dollarama, actually, that don't bleed through the pages of my Bible. After I've read and marked the scripture, I make another journal entry about what I have just read, summarizing what stands out to me and what it is that I want to take with me for the day. This is followed by a short written prayer framed from what I have just read, addressed to the Father and signed, Your Loving Son, Dave. This sets me up to engage in a time of prayer for those matters that God brings to my attention. This all takes about a half an hour and fills just one page of my journal. I realize that journaling isn't for everyone. However, if you've never tried it, I would suggest that you give it a go. You may find that it helps you slow down in attending to finding rest and renewal for your soul. The next practice for slowing that I would suggest is choosing intentionally the slowly. By this I mean when you are out driving, deliberately pull into the slow lane, whether it's on the 400 series or a multiple lane uh, street in town, and just Drive slowly. Now let me say, keep the speed limit so you don't frustrate drivers behind you. But move out of the fast lane and see what this might do for your anxiety level. Then the next time you are in the grocery store, look for the longest line at the checkout and join it. Take time to look around you. Observe the people in your line or the ones next to you. Be alert to the presence of Jesus in this place. Is there someone he may want you to help or greet or give a smile or pray for silently? Be more present to the presence of Jesus than counting the number of articles in the grocery cart of the shopper in front of you. I could go on and mention other deliberate choices you could make intentionally uh, to step into the slow lane, but I think you get the idea here. We must find ways to make hurry a distant practice. Then reduce the level of stimulants. 
We all are exposed to enticements that ramp up our stress levels, that push us into states of anxiety, that speed up initial responses, often leading to our overreactions that prompt irrational behavior. In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard makes reference to an experiment done with mice where it was found that a mouse in solitude could withstand a very high dose of amphetamines before dying. Whereas in a group of mice hopping around and hyping each other up, a dosage of 20 times smaller than that administered to the mouse in solitude was lethal. It was further observed that a mouse given no amphetamines when placed in a group on the drug will get so hyped up that within 10 minutes or so, it will be dead. We might conclude that only a mouse would be so foolish as to allow itself to become so hyped up by its environment that it would succumb to the frantic pace and mindless activity all around to its ultimate demise. But think of all the inviting stimulants that confront us on a regular basis, such as buy now, pay later, act now, don't delay. We can move you faster. Let us help you increase your productivity by 25%. This week's lottery draw is $50 million. Then add to this the constant barrage from video games, TV, movies, sports, email, social media, newscasts, and the, the plethora of other media stimuli that move us to distraction. And then in the midst of all of this frenzy, a popular energy drink appeals to consumers by stating that it will give you wings, never taking into account that we were never designed to fly. We are pulled into the belief that it is okay to go faster, to be frantic and stressed and exhausted and empty, because that's the way everybody is. The truth is, that we can become so numb to the impact of our environments that we don't even notice how much they control us. The deeper truth is that we live in a lethal environment where we will ultimately cave if we do not give attention to what we allow to shape us. And so the Apostle Paul gives us this instruction. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Paul points here, Paul's point here is that we must be on guard against allowing the stimuli of the world's environment to hype us up to its diminishing returns. We are called to be more mature, to allow God to shake us from the lure of cultural norms to live in godly space. Again, to quote Kierkegaard, the press of busyness is like a charm. Without intentional practices to resist its pull, the charm of busyness will consume us. So let me ask you, where do you find yourself most charmed by busyness? 
What's your hurry? And then what practices for slowing do you now practice or do you need to establish? How does Jesus' invitation to find rest in him factor into your life choices? The bottom line here is that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And so while you're thinking about those uh, questions, I'm going to have a conversation with the pastoral team that are behind me uh, just around these uh, questions that I've posed here and uh, maybe some other thoughts. So uh, just listen as we join in and have this conversation. So I've been talking a bit about busyness and the charm and, and, and all that it, it can, can have upon it, us. I, um, I, re, I remember, in fact, I just kind of dug it out yesterday as, as Janie and I were going through some books, uh, Dan Hansel's book, uh, When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. Um, that, you know, I think that's, that's sometimes a, a, a common um, theme within a lot of people, but Many times, if we're honest with ourselves, within those of us in, in, in ministry. So let's, let's talk about, about that a, a little bit. What is it about busyness that, that kind of can act as a charm uh, to us? And uh, I've got a couple of mics here. Uh, so just as you feel inclined to respond, uh, just grab a mic, and we're just going to have a conversation uh, here this morning for a bit. Any response? Since I have the mic, I'll start. Uh, I love the question about what charms, and I have to admit that the telephone, the as I have it in my back pocket, is <laughs> a charm, and it creates busyness sometimes just in the in the thoughts. Right? Um, what's the next stimulus? What's the next piece of information? The next text? The next email? Um, the next? The next? The next? Mm. And it creates busyness. I find myself constantly checking, checking, checking. Mm. And so um, the word charm just helped me think about that right away. Mm. Okay. Good. Anyone else? I think, Dave, uh, as a Christian and as a pastor, you know, you uh, want to be guided by your desire to please God and obey scriptures. Mm. And for me, uh, you know, kind of the theme verse for me has been make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil uh, mm-hmm. in Ephesians 5. And yet um, that has uh, driven me to uh, kind of a performance uh, orientation, not so much as a charm, at least in a sense that in a negative sense. But I thought I was trying to please God. Yeah. And I mean, and also the desire to see lost people come to Christ. You there's always lost people. And so you want to uh, please God by trying to share the gospel, by being available to minister to people. So in a sense, there's, um, that can become a charm in a sense of trying to perform. Uh, that can certainly become uh, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, like, sometimes it can work from the opposite side. Um, I'm not on staff. I was a nurse. <laughs> We've had uh, you know, bed and breakfast for 10 years. And, and then it was looking after my parents. And now that my parents are both gone, um, it's like, okay, so what's next? And, and my one grandson a uh, few, few weeks ago said to me, he said, Grandma, like, what do you do all day? <laughs> you're not working you know and and it's easy then 
for us to think, yeah, (laughs) what am I doing all day? We do feel guilty if we can't say we're crazy busy. Um, if, If God has put us in a time where we're to be quiet, um, where we don't have all these things to do, um, and we have to wait on him. So. I find um, my inner dialogue, I spend a lot of time in the coulds and the shoulds, um, just constantly wrestling. Um, I have time available, and that was something that I have been very intentional about over the last 18 months, I would say, two years in particular. Really trying to set good boundaries, uh, trying to prioritize things in my life that I really feel God is asking me to prioritize. But even though I'm responding to that, that inner dialogue of I could and I should, still I still wrestle with that. And that is that creates anxiety in me. So not only am I trying to be faithful to those boundaries and to set them and to be good with them, but I'm also wrestling with the, but you could still be doing so much more. And I often wonder about that, and I think so much of that is our Western culture, um, that we are caught up in that without even being aware of it. That is just how our lives That's just how our world exists for us. And so it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of intentionality to address those thoughts. You know, take every thought captive. What is the root of that? Um, I tend to be a people pleaser. So the root of that for me, I think, is if I did this, if I reached out, if I stayed connected, or if I responded to that need, or there is a... There's a part of me that's going, well, it'll be good for others. It'll be good for me. It feels good. But there's always a cost. You know, a friend of mine and I, we always say to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. And that's something that I'm still really trying to learn, right? I remember uh, one New Year's, I, um, a few years ago, I was kind of caught in, in that. And I, I made a New Year's resolution that's, and I've told some of you this already, but uh, throughout this entire year, I will not use the words I should have. And, and, and that's the only New Year's resolution, I think, in my entire life that I've ever really kept. And, and it's still as a part of forming uh, me. So I talked a little bit about, you know, one of my, my personal ways of slowing down and the importance of slowing down. Let's talk a little bit about, about that. What are, are there some practices that, that uh, you know, you've, you've developed that, that help in, in that area or some things that, that you're thinking about or wanting to try or, or whatever? What, what are some ways in which you have been able to uh, discover the, the way to uh, slow down a little bit and, and increase your uh, intimacy with God? Well, for me, um, I've been trying to see if I could put a request in so I could um, go more often on holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try. (laughs) I tried. Um, 
But that alone, I think, seems to put me in a different kind of space because mm-hmm. um, uh, I think Solange equ- um, equals busyness <laughs> in my mind. If I'm not busy, if I'm not um, um, on a run, there's something I feel odd, I feel weird. I mean, yesterday, spending the time at home alone, it was just taking me off a different ramp. How do we sit down? How do we sit down and watch a movie? How do we, how can people be watching TV the whole day? I mean, I kept on struggling with myself the whole, um, the whole time. Um, but I think very early I have learned to say no to many things. Hmm. And it feels good in saying no. Um, uh, we have um, purchased in my office, you know, this whole tap machine here. Um, one says press for yes and press for no. So we haven't been using the yes one, but we have been using uh, the no one. It's just to help with those kind of boundaries. Yeah. So um, going back um, to this, I think I maybe have to rewrite my letter to take some more time off and going to the beach. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, uh, I'm trying to come to the end of the day, feel more relaxed, mm. and sleep well, which is um, what I'm trying to do every day when I wake up, I have a list of to do. Mm-hmm. But um, after um, getting ready to go out and spending uh, the time with the Lord uh, early morning, I wake up while everyone is sleeping, so no interruption. So that's good. So I think about what I need to do. Then I shovel them. I said, what's the important thing that I need to do? Mm. And what's put me in sometimes in the stress is the um, managing of the impressions of if I did this and if some people see me and I said, no, 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 I will not go to this area. I first looking to please God. No matter the people see or know, that will be a sight. Mm-hmm. They say, if they see what I do and they say, thank you, that's fine. If they didn't, that's fine too. So I sit like an, a level of satisfaction in the end of the day come to the end of the day and I find some, some of list to do I didn't do. Okay, that's okay. Can carry on tomorrow mm-hmm. if they are so important. Or I'm okay if I didn't do. But I feel satisfaction was, was between me and God because I feel that's what you want me to do today. That's it. The other thing is some emergency and urgent come during the day but i find them the most important thing is to give a call to someone and i didn't plan for but i find that's the need that's the holy spirit bumping me and saying Milad, call this 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 family or this one or they need help with and i find that's more important than doing some other stuff i find at the end of the day if I didn't do it, it will not make any change. Yeah. So, 
the relationship with, with, with God, especially what's happening nowadays with the coronavirus, I, I found out that it's wonderful time. There is no hurry anymore. Hmm. Where are you going? Yeah. There is no place to go. Yeah. There is nothing you can do. So you will slow down by force. Hmm. So I think that's a very important time to spend with the Lord and ask, what do you want me to do? Yeah. How can be a hope for the hopeless world around us? Yeah. After coming out of burnout, and I, as I shared last week, um, you know, some of the things I put in place actually was to go back to that verse in Ephesians 5, uh, 16, you know, um, that to make the most of every opportunity. But before that, in verse 15, it actually says, um, be careful then how you live, not as the unwise, but as wise, hmm. making the most of every opportunity. It says, therefore, know what the Lord's will is. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I had to conclude was that, you know, uh, it actually says I have to live as a wise person. And obviously, uh, living a hurried life is unwise because it leads to burnout. It leads to that hurried life. And so I need to know what the Lord's will is. So one of the practice I have now just instituted is just asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Is that constant being dependent on the spirit because her, you know, it says, do not be drunk with wine. Uh, we become drunk with the hurried life, uh, with the fast paced living. And that says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep continuing to walk with the spirit. Uh, just quick, one quick example. You know, again, I uh, went shopping on Fridays. I was uh, grocery shopping, as I told one of you guys. And uh, I mean, the lineup was about an hour long. Hmm. And nor- I was thinking about abandoning my shopping cart right there. Cause, you know, this is just a waste of time. But I asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I just struck up a conversation with the guy in the cart ahead of me. And his life was so broken and he was so open to the gospel. And we talked for uh, a good 30 minutes and he was so open. And he said, you know, and he was the one who said, what church uh, are you a pastor at? And so I'd like to come and see you. And so I'm praying for him, and again, one to live that life open to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, we, I talked about the fact that Jesus gives this gracious invitation to come to him and, uh, you know, take up his easy yoke, um, that he's gentle and, 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 and humble at, in heart. And, and somehow we, we just have to kind of learn to move into that space, don't we? Where, where we're the, the, the most important uh, piece of any day is to is to make sure who's pulling our leash <laughs> you know and and uh so hey anyone else have anything else to uh, to add before we wrap up here today um and uh, kind of give a blessing and uh, to our, our folks anything that anybody else wants to say all right well Thank you. And uh, as we were praying this morning, there was an image that came to mind. And uh, the image that came to mind was when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and uh, the storm came up and, and Jesus was fast asleep. And the disciples came to him and, and uh, um, kind of ragged on him a little bit and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? And what did Jesus do? Of course, he got up and he stretched out his hands and he said, peace, 
peace be still. And so may the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, that is beyond our ability sometimes to fully comprehend, guard your heart and your mind these days. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.